Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series today, King Size Lessons on Faith and Failure, with a message from 2 Chronicles chapter 14 to 16 called King Asa Contending for the Faith. Yesterday, I announced that for one week, I want to consider lessons that we can learn from, well, some of the kings of Judah. All the kings of Israel, without exception, turned from God to do evil, but the kings of Judah, well, they were a mixed bag. And so I've called this short series, King Size Lessons on Faith and Failure. It's a study of some of the kings of Judah. Today, we're going to be looking at a fascinating character. His name is King Asa. He ruled over Judah from the years 911 to 870 BC. His reign was 41 years. That's a long reign. And as we shall see, he was a man who contended for the faith in his day. And his life, well, it's got a lot to teach us about the struggles in our day as we contend for the faith. But before we talk about that, let me give you a bit of his background. Well, Asa had quite a family tree. His great-great-grandfather was King David. King David was a man after God's own heart, so much so that God promised David that his kingdom would be established for all times. Indeed, his kingdom and his ancestor would rule the world. King Jesus is the rightful heir of David's throne. But that means that the kingdom of David was intended by God as the kingdom whereby he would rule over all humanity. And so Asa's role was to further that line until the one came to whom it rightfully belonged. Well, Asa's great-grandfather was Solomon, and King Solomon started well, but then ended badly. And in the end, Solomon abandoned God for idols. Well, Asa's grandfather was Rehoboam, the man who lost the kingdom, or should I say, the man under whose leadership Israel was divided between Israel and Judah. So Israel broke away from the kingdom of David, and all that was left to the throne of David now was the kingdom of Judah, made up of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Well, during the reign of Rehoboam, idolatry was widely practiced. In fact, 1 Kings 14, 22 to 24 tells us what life was like under the kingship of Asa's grandfather. It says, And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and asherim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Well, that was Asa's grandfather, Rehoboam, and that's what he allowed and then participated in. Ultimately, he was an idolater. In fact, let me explain one kind of idolatry that figured widely in ancient Israel. It was the worship of a goddess named Asherah. Asherah worship came from the Canaanite neighbors of Israel. She was considered, you know, the wife of the supreme God in Canaanite religions, and it was through intercourse with her that the Canaanite God created all things along with all the other gods and goddesses. So she was considered the mother of all idols, and also the goddess of fertility, and with her came a host of sexual rituals. But here's the kicker. Archaeologists have discovered a grave site during the time of the kings which had an inscription to Yahweh and his Asherah. In other words, this is what we call syncretism. People melted the story of Asherah to the story of Israel's god Yahweh and came up with a new story. Syncretism, as you can see, is altering the one true faith. 
Now, if you've ever read Dan Brown's novel, The Da Vinci Code, you'll find that's exactly what he proposes when he speaks of the sacred feminine in which he argues for sex rituals to obtain unity with God and even claims that this paganism was the religion of Jesus. Now, this is a modern version of Asherah worship. So then the battle that Asa faced is the battle that every generation of faithful Christians have always faced. Well, Asa's dad was Abijam, and he reigned only three years, and then he died, and he'd been no better than Asa's grandfather. So enter Asa. He's young, he's inexperienced, and if you're a betting person, you'd have to say that Asa would be like his dad and his grandfather. Uh, What was more, Asa's mother was directing him when he was young, and she was the chief proponent of Asherah worship. But God had a calling on Asa's life. So let's read 2 Chronicles 14, 1-7. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land had rest for ten years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars. And the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those days, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. The story of Asa is the story of a man who led his nation back to God. It's a story of reformation, the story of the resurgence of faith once for all delivered to the saints. And I want you to notice three things in this passage to help us understand what it was that Asa was fighting for. So I I put it in the heading, what we need to fight for. You know, verse 2 tells us that Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. He knows God personally. You know, whenever the Old Testament speaks of God becoming our God, as it does, for instance, in the case of Abraham or in the case of Jacob. It means something personal. I notice this is a a part of the reform of Asa because really all contending for the faith is meaningless until people come to know God as their own God. And so we can say that first Asa was contending for a return to a personal faith. And the loss of a personal faith is the first place where faith becomes diminished. All over the world, there are second and third and 10th and 20th generation Christianity where people know nothing of the reality of Christ living within. I know of one country where voodoo practices are practiced right alongside of the Roman Catholic Mass. A lack of personal faith leads to syncretism. But lest we fight battles too far away, we need to recognize that every generation needs to personally encounter Christ on their own. And without that, there is no faith. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We fight for personal conversion. We fight for personal repentance, personal surrender to Christ as Savior and Lord. We fight for personal faith and personal holiness and personal prayer, personal intimacy with God. If today you come from a Christian home but don't know the reality of personal conversion, well, you're not a believer. We fight for the right to call everyone to personal faith in Christ. Now, some of us will say, oh, well, that's the nature of reformation and revival. But that's not where Asa ended. 
He went further, and our passage tells us another two things. First, he removed the idols from the land, and second, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord and to keep his commandments. So we notice he contended for a personal faith, but he also contended for the true historic faith. See, I want you to notice two things here. I mean, first of all, he stresses the God of their fathers. There is, he says, a continuity of faith. There have in every era been people who have carried on in the true faith. I always get nervous when people act as if, you know, they're the first generation of believers and then deal as if none of the past generations of believers mattered. And then secondly, also notice that he roots that faith in the law and commandments. No doubt he would have stressed the first two commandments. That is, he would have stressed that God says you can have no other gods before him. And then, of course, there's the prohibition against making a carved image. See, Asa had a faith rooted in the text of Scripture. He knew that Scripture simply would not allow us to buy into the spirit of the age. He knew the difference between what his culture wanted and what his God wanted. And if idolatry was popular and meaningful to people, it didn't matter to Asa, for God forbids it. And when God forbids it, we also ought to forbid it. By the way, that is a message for today. See, I've met so-called believers. They claim personal faith in Christ. They're sleeping with either their girlfriend or their boyfriend. We live in a world today where relationships between men and women are defined by culture, not by Scripture, not by the Word of God. That's just one example. See, you can't have a personal faith and say, you know, it's a personal relationship if your personal faith is not rooted in the text of Scripture and in God's once-for-all historic revelation. True faith is rooted in the Word of God and in obedience to that Word. And the latter verses, that is verses 6 and 7 of the passage that we've read, says that Asa also built fortified cities. That is, he built his armies and he made sure the nation had peace and prosperity. Indeed, because of his leadership, the land of Judah had peace, the Bible says, for many years, at least ten in all. You know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how the ministries or ministry resources of Back to the Bible Canada are impacting your life, what you found most beneficial. Is there a specific resource or medium, a message that has brought blessing and encouragement into your life? Not only do your notes and emails offer encouragement, but they allow us to know how we can provide effective Bible teaching ministry. Our mission is to build you up in God's Word and to grow faithful disciples for His church. So touch base, would you? Email us at info at backtothebible.ca or visit us at backtothebible.ca and click on contact and leave your message there. We're so grateful for all you do to support this Bible teaching ministry. For more information or to send a gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The last thing we learn about Asa is that he strengthened the cities of Judah, ensuring that the land had peace. And Asa, as we've seen, knew God personally. He cared a great deal to keep the doctrines of the faith pure. And now we see that he cares for the land and for the people and for the corporate welfare of his nation. And here, too, there's a great deal to learn from this king. Asa understood that faith 
was never just an individualistic thing. It has to be corporate. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how many people view faith entirely individualistically. Now, that's private for them. Faith in the one true God also cares for the welfare of others. It forms us into a community of God's people and, in Asa's case, into a nation. You know, we've made mention of the land having peace for many years, but then came the time when the peace was broken. So I'm reading now 2 Chronicles 14, 8 to 12. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Merishah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zarephath at Merishah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Now, it's clear from this passage that Asa is facing overwhelming odds. Our passage says that Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against him. Now, in the Bible, Ethiopia is a different country from the one that we recognize by that name today. The nation Asa was facing came from what we would think of as Sudan today. Well, nonetheless, the army that he had amassed sounds staggering in size, It has led some critics of the Bible to say that, you know, a million-man army is impossible. Well, the Hebrew language actually has no word for a million. Literally, our passage says that it was an army of thousand thousands. Well, whatever the number was, it was a staggering army. The peace was shattered. The army was penetrating deeply into Judah and would have been some, you know, 50 kilometers from Jerusalem. They were intent on destroying the nation entirely, and it would seem at this point that all of Asa's reforms were about to come to nothing. But that would depend on your perspective, wouldn't it? If all that Asa had done is to return Israel to their historic religion, well, one might argue now that was going to fail. That's because, well, the politics and the power structures and the nations that rise and fall, they're, they're constantly in conflict. I mean, forces far greater than the religion of one small nation were at work here. But that would only be true if Judah had only a religion. But in fact, they had the living God, the God who spoke to the nation at Mount Sinai, the God who made them their own. And so let's get back to that immense army, as as great as anyone had seen. The army has already invaded Judah, and it would have displaced a great number of people, refugees everywhere. This is a national crisis. The future of the nation is at stake. No doubt an army this large would involve a multitude of nations. Some scholars think that it would have involved some sort of a treaty between nations to the south of Judah so as to completely destroy Judah and divide the spoils between them. And they were already carving out Judah before the battle actually began. And to be fair to this text, Asa has already, you know, amassed a considerable military himself. But the problem was that the very best his efforts could do were not enough. But of course, Asa isn't just religious. Asa worships the living God. And so Asa leads his nation in prayer. Oh Lord, there's none like you to help. We're weak, you're mighty. But all of that doesn't matter. We rely on you. And then our text does not say that Judah prevailed. Rather, it says the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. So what do we learn about Asa? We learn that we, like Asa, 
should do all that is in our power to secure the best possible results in our own lives, in our own families, in our workplaces, and wherever God gives us a realm in which we are to provide leadership. But we also learn that the very best we can do is never enough. There are battles we did not anticipate, and some of those battles are far larger than we can manage. But Romans 8.31 teaches us, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, please don't take the first part of that sentence lightly, would you? If God is for us. And Asa, when his great battle took shape, had been a man who himself had surrendered his ways to God. And so how can any believer know that God is for them? Well, certainly. If what we want is to fulfill our lust or our greed, our desire for fame in this world or so many other things, well, we can't be assured that God is for us at all, can we? But as Romans 8 teaches us that our condemnation has already been taken care of in in the cross of Christ. It's Jesus himself who has reconciled us to his Father and given us the assurance that God is for us. And it would be a fitting end to the story of Asa here, a man who had inherited a nation so much smaller than the one Solomon had left, a man who inherited a nation filled with idolatry and estranged from God, this man leads his nation back to the one true God. But as we've seen, Asa had a lengthy reign, 41 years in all. And in the 36th year of his reign, King Baasha of Israel, having overthrown the dynasty of Jeroboam, usurped the crown and began his menacing reign. He began with hostility to King Asa, a new threat, and this one from Israel itself. He blocked the main road from the north into Judah and immediately blocked all trade to all other nations. There was another crisis. And you would think Asa would do what he'd always done, call on the name of the Lord. But this time, Asa, a great deal older now, stumbles in his relationship with God. Second Chronicles 16, 2-4. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel-Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And suddenly the trade roads were open all over again. All it took was a treaty with a nation of Syria and with their king Ben-Hadad, a known enemy of God. It's amazing how many human-centered solutions there are to things. Things that work, things that require little prayer, little study, little inner searching, just stuff that works. And after having done this, the plot thickens. Second Chronicles 16, 7-9. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, The army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have wars. Yeah, and then wars ensued. See, Asa had two options. One, stop fighting long enough to get on his knees and repent. Or two, justify himself and see the prophet as his enemy and put that prophet into prison. And that is, will Asa be like King David or will he be like King Solomon? And tragically, he becomes like Solomon. He puts the prophet in prison. Well, two years later, 
King Asaph becomes diseased in his feet. And in his pain and his anger, he refuses to go to the Lord for help. After all, he's angry now with God. His heart is angry. It's bitter towards God. And by all accounts, and tragically, that's how King Asa eventually died. Now, we're horrified when we read that. How can that be the case? But it was. And in the end, King Asa's life teaches us that if we don't nurture a relationship with God, not for a season, but for a lifetime, eventually we will collapse like a building suddenly falling through a sinkhole. You know what a sinkhole is? It's a place where there was an underground river. Then the river becomes dried up and the buildings on top become weakened. Eventually a hole opens up. And that's what happened to Asa's faith. That underground river with God, nurtured by God's Spirit, now became dried up. He became a sinkhole. Eventually he would collapse. And the lesson's simple for us, don't you think? Do not live on past victories. Nurture today the loveliness of knowing God and of relationship with Him. Do you know that old age doesn't shield us from battles? You can't retire from battles, but the Lord our God is a shield for us when we're young and also when we're old. Do not abandon the Lord your God and nurture a love for Him in your old age, for God will sustain us. Thanks for your message today, John. You know, I got to ask you, though, how can we as followers of Jesus maintain our faithfulness? Yeah, because obviously you're asking the question because, you know, we have this amazing man by the name of Asa who does so many wonderful things and then stumbles at the end of his life. And, you know, it. it I once had a conversation with uh, somebody after, you know, church service, and uh, we were having some conversation. He's an elderly man, and he said to me, you know, at every single stage in my life, the number of temptations that I would have would be about the same, but they would they would differ. The things that I struggled with as a young man, I don't struggle with now, but he said, I struggle with different temptations, and they are the temptations of an old man. So I think one of the things that we need to acknowledge, that we need to continue to fight for holiness and submission to Christ for a lifetime. I mean, we won't get to the place on this side of eternity where we say we've gotten there. And for that reason, I'm going to say that we need to entrust ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, trust in His power, and also trust in the promises that God has given to sustain us. And with those things, we can be assured that we're not going to end up as Asa did. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, King Size Lessons on Faith and Failure, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Neufeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. 
For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.